John chapter 14. We are continuing on in the subject of prayer this morning. This is the agony of victory part 9. The agony of victory part 9. And listen to me church, today's topic is vital. Very, very, very important. I I mean, not just important, it is absolutely necessary for our Christian lives and particularly for our prayer life. And though it's necessary and it's vital, it's often misunderstood. Without it, really, our prayers are totally ineffective. With it, well, the sky is the limit when it comes to what we would ask of the Lord. Today we're talking about praying in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we can come before you, Father, because of what Jesus did upon the cross. That because of what he did, we are granted access to the throne of grace. That we can pray with authority because of his work and who he is. And we just pray that this morning, Father, you would instruct us further as to how to pray. And you would deliver us out of weird religion. And you would bring us into true, potent relationship. Thank you that our prayers are based on that relationship that we have with Jesus. So much more than just a mere name. The absolute character of who he is. And the power that has afforded our prayers through that identity. Lord, teach us this morning. Holy Spirit, come and instruct us. Make us wise in prayer. Make us effective in prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can imagine if you were just about to die. I mean, it's the evening before and you knew that the next day you would die. And you were gathered with those who were closest to you. Don't you know that there would just be so many things on your heart that you'd want to express? But really, I think in that moment, in the intensity, in the rawness of that moment, you'd really be able to narrow it down to just a couple things, wouldn't you? I mean, on your heart of hearts at the end of your time, there would really just be one or two things that you would want to communicate above and beyond everything else. Well, Jesus was in a situation relative to that the night before the cross. Of course, it was not the end of his life. He conquered death and he rose again on the third day. But it was a pivotal moment, and there were some very important things that he wanted to express. Really, the most important things is what he wanted to express to those who were closest to him, his disciples, the eve before the cross. And what we see at the Last Supper, which is given to us in all the Gospels, but a great portion in John 13 through 17, What we see in the Last Supper is Jesus instructing his disciples and subsequently you and I to pray in his name six different times at this one meal. The Lord says to do so. We see the first time in John 14, 13 through 14. Jesus says, and whatever you ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. We see it again in John 15, 16. It says to the disciples, You do not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. We see it again in John 16, 23 through 24. 
Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, if you shall ask the Father for anything, He will give it to you in My name. Until now you have not asked for anything in My name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. And then in verse 26 through 27a, In that day you will ask in My name. And I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf, for the Father Himself loves you. Six different times in this one evening, particularly at this one meal, Jesus instructs his disciples to pray in his name. I mean, you can just imagine if you're having a meal with someone and they bring something up six times. You're like, all right, dude, you've obviously got an agenda here. There's obviously something you really want to say. Six times in one meal. Obviously, very important to the heart of God. The New Testament continues with the precept in Ephesians 5.20. It says, Always give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even to the Father. And Colossians 3.17 makes it even broader and says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. So it's very clear that we are supposed to pray In the name of Jesus. Remember, prayer and the simplest uh, idea is just to come to. So we are to come to the Father in the name of Jesus. And prayer carries the idea of communicating. So we are to communicate with the Father in the name of Jesus. It's imperative. We can't do it without the name of Jesus. But what exactly does it mean? I mean, what really does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean to simply add the words to the end of your prayer as if it's some sort of magic formula that gives powers to our prayer. Now God has to do it. I said the magic words in the name of Jesus. That's not what it means. In fact, none of the prayers recorded for us in Scripture have those words in them. Not a single one of them. In fact, I'll tell you this, and you may be shocked by the statement, the words themselves are not necessary. You don't have to verbalize in the name of Jesus. Now, when I say that, some of you are like, what do you mean? You get a little uncomfortable, don't you? Because it's just been so deeply ingrained in us, and really rightly so, that we always close our prayers with, in the name of Jesus. I mean, we're funny about it. My son Isaiah, he's five years old, and he will not accept any prayer where at the end you don't say in the name of Jesus. He absolutely will not. Sometimes I pray for him. Well, I always pray for him when he's going to bed, but sometimes I'll pray and I'll just say, thank you, Lord, amen. And he opens his eyes and goes, no. I go, what? And he goes, Jesus' name, amen. I mean, he just will not have it unless you say, in Jesus' name, amen. My daughter, Daisy, 23 months old. She's begun her prayer life now. She's starting to pray at the dinner table for the family meal. And her prayer is just, Dear Lord, Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) That's her prayer. But you see, it's already been ingrained in her that there are some necessary elements, some things that you've got to say, she believes in her little brain. But I find even amongst older Christians that we often have not matured Beyond that point, we still simply think, well, you must say in the name of Jesus. If you don't, the prayer is no good. You've got to say it. Well, 
a lack of understanding would lead us to that conclusion. You see, a lack of understanding would lead us to think that it's some sort of formula, that it's this magical incantation of sorts. But do we really understand? I mean, it's the concept that is important, not the words themselves. Now, it's not wrong to add the words in the name of Jesus. If you already do that, keep on doing that. That's great. But they are only meaningful to you if you grasp the concept behind the words. Understood? They're only meaningful if we grasp the concept. So what is the concept of those words in Jesus' name? Well, first of all, we've got to understand the concept of a name. And you guys know this. We understand what a name is. A name is a word by which we call up to our minds the whole being or nature of an object. It's a word by which we call into our minds the whole being or nature of an object. I mean, when I speak of a lion or a lamb, the name at once suggests to you some peculiarities about what that creature is. Just in the name, you already have a whole concept of who a lion or a lamb is. Well, in the same way, the name of God and the names of God are meant to express His whole divine nature and the totality of His glory. Understand that in ancient times, in the biblical context, the name of a person represented the person himself. It wasn't arbitrary. Today, for us, uh, in our culture, a lot of it is just arbitrary. In that time, names were not arbitrary. They represented the whole person and his character. And to have a good name was to have a good reputation. Proverbs 22.1 A good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver or gold. Ecclesiastes 7.1 A good name is better than a good ointment. That is the concept and value of a name throughout the biblical context. That a name has value. It has characteristics ascribed to it. And the name of Jesus represents all that he is. His entire character and his reputation. The name of Jesus represents all that he is. His character and his reputation. I mean, in God's word, he, he, he ascribes everything to the importance of his name. Go to Ezekiel 36 if you would. Ezekiel 36. In Ezekiel 36, we have God pronouncing judgment upon the nation of Israel because they've, they've gone away from them. They worshiped idols. They've defiled themselves in the land. And he says to them that he would remove them from the land in judgment. But then he says that he would bring them back into the land at a later time, which is exactly what happened on May 14th at midnight, 1948. And it's what the Lord is continuing to do. But I want you to notice why the Lord says he would do that. It's an incredible modern miracle that we've seen. It testifies to the faithfulness and the glory of God. But I want you to see why the Lord does that. Start reading with me in verse 16 of Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land, because they had defiled it with their idols. 
Also I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the lands. According to their ways and their deeds, I judged them. When they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name, because it was said of them, These are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of His land. Now look at verse 21. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord." declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among them in your sights. Verse 24, For I will take you from the nations, gather you from all lands, and will bring you back into your own land. Now the Lord has done this, and the Lord is doing this, and the Lord did it, why? Thank you, people. He did it, why? Why? For His name, for His sake, not for Israel's sake. Why have you been saved? For His sake, for His name, for His glory, for His honor, for His kingdom, not for yours. Oh, we receive the benefits of it. I mean, we've been brought into the family of God. Glory to God, but there it is. It's glory to God, not glory to you. I mean, He does it for His name's sake. You see, everything is wrapped up in that name. Everything comes back to the name and the names of God because in the Bible, the name is a testimony to the identity and the character and the reputation. And so God does everything to exalt and to defend His name. And concerning Jesus, we read in Philippians 2, 9-10, through 10, Therefore also God highly exalted Him, And bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. So the name of Jesus, the name in which we're told to pray, is the name which is above every name and at which every knee will bow. But it's not just J-E-S-U-S. I mean, that's just how we say it in English. It's not just the name. If it was just the name, then everyone in Carpinteria named Jesus, we'd be bowing down to them. It's not the name. It's the character, and it is the identity, and it is his attributes. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, we are to, and we must be mindful of the fact that we are to pray according to the identity of Jesus Christ. Our prayers should be consistent with the character of Jesus Christ. And they should fall in line with the attributes of Jesus Christ. In His name. In that name, I mean all that is contained in that name, it's unsearchable, it's unfathomable. If you're to do a study in the Bible on the names of God, you'll be studying for the rest of your life. It'll be so rich, you'll be so blessed. But what if we were just to mention some of the names of Jesus in just the New Testament? Not the old, just the new. The New Testament tells us that He's the Advocate and the Almighty. The Alpha and the Omega. 
Jesus is the amen. He's the apostle of our profession. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He's the author of life. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the author of salvation. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the blessed and only ruler, the bread of God and the bread of life. He is the bridegroom and the capstone, the chief cornerstone, the chief shepherd. He is Christ. He is creator. He is the deliverer. He is the eternal life. Jesus is the gate. He is the faithful and true. He is the faithful witness. He is the faithful and true witness. He is the first and last. He's the firstborn from the dead. He's the firstborn over all creation. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is God. He's a good shepherd. He's a great shepherd. He's a great high priest. He's the head of the church. He's the heir of all things and the high priest, the holy and true, the holy one. He is hope. He is hope and glory. He's the horn of salvation. He is the great I am. He is the image of God. He is Emmanuel. He's a judge of the living and the dead. He's the king eternal, the king of Israel, the king of the Jews, the king of kings, and the king of the ages. He's a lamb and the lamb of God. He's a lamb without blemish. He's the last Adam. He's a life. He's the light of the world. He's a lion of the tribe of Judah. He's a living one, the living stone, the Lord, the Lord of all, the Lord of glory, and the Lord of lords. He's a man from heaven, the mediator of the new covenant, the morning star, the offspring of David, the only begotten Son of God, our great God and Savior, our holiness, our husband, our protection, our redemption, our righteousness, our sacrifice, Passover lamb. He's the power of God and the precious cornerstone. He's the prophet and the rabbi. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the righteous branch and the righteous one. He's the rock and the root of David. He's the ruler of God's creation, the ruler of the kings of the earth. He is Savior, Son of David, Son of God, Son of Man, Son of the Most High God. He's the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. He's the one mediator, the stone the builders rejected. He is the true bread, the true vine, and the true light. He is true. He is the way, He is the wisdom of God, He is the Word, and He is the Word of God. Those are not all the names of Jesus in the New Testament. And that doesn't even talk about the Old Testament. And so when we pray in the name of Jesus, you see all those things are in there. All those things are supposed to be in there. It is that we are to be mindful of the identity and the character and the attributes of the Lord. Now, Christian, this ought to change the way that you pray. I mean, if you understand what is in the name, the name that is above all names, it ought to change the way that we pray. Because now that becomes so much more than words. It becomes worship, you understand. I mean, when we say in the name of Jesus, it becomes worship. And it means that our prayers can become worship when they fall in line with his identity and his character and his attributes. And it should change our prayer life so that it becomes consistent with who Jesus is. I mean, sometimes we're just sort of haphazard in our prayer life. And the Lord's cool. He knows that we're just dirt. That's all right. Psalm 103 says that. But really, if we're to be mindful thoughtful, worshipful Christians, it ought to change the content of our prayers. Is what I'm praying in line with who He is? And does it bring glory to His name? Is it according to His will? To pray in the name of Jesus means to pray according to His will. We already talked about this several lessons ago, but 1 John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence which we have before Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. 
And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. So praying in the name of Jesus means praying according to His will also. So when Jesus at that Last Supper says six times that we are to pray in His name, He's really making a declaration that He is the basis of all prayer. He is the only reason that we even can pray. Leon Morris, one of my favorite Bible commentators, says this concerning praying in Jesus' name. He says, It is prayer proceeding from faith in Christ. Prayer that gives expression to a unity with all that Christ stands for. Prayer which seeks to set forward Christ Himself. And the purpose of it all is the glory of God. So our prayers ought to be in unity with Christ. They ought to be about and for Jesus himself and concerned with the glory of God. And because Jesus is the basis and the identity of our prayer, there's three benefits that we've been afforded that are absolutely incredible, that are necessary for an effective prayer life. Three benefits. Number one, authority. Number two, access. And number three, accounts. Authority, access, and account. Three benefits that are ours on the basis of the identity and the work of Jesus Christ. Now, authority. You understand this. To come in the name of someone means that another person has authorized you to come in their authority and not in your own. You've been in that situation where someone says, hey, tell them I sent you. You know what I mean? And and you're kind of putting your stamp or, or your reputation or your authority on that thing, you understand? And so when Jesus says, pray in my name, he is inviting us to pray with his authority and according to his authority. Uh, It's in the name of Jesus that authority is exercised throughout the Bible. In Acts chapter 3, verse 6, we see that a lame man was healed in the name of Jesus at the word of Peter and John. He said, gold and silver I have not, but what I do have I give unto you. In the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. In Acts chapter 16, verse 18, Paul casts a demon out of a girl in the name of Jesus. He says, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her. It is only at the name of Jesus that that man was healed. It is only at the name of Jesus that that girl was delivered. People, even Peter and John and Paul, people do not have the authority to heal someone in their own name. They do not have the authority to see demons expelled in their own name. The authority and the effectiveness comes from the identity and the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so just as we don't have authority to heal and to cast out demons in our own name, we don't have the authority to pray in our own name. Prayer cannot happen to a holy and righteous God, or nor can it impact the spiritual realm unless it is in the authority of of Jesus Christ. Now, we would never, knowingly, most well-meaning Christians, we, we would never sort of cognizantly or, or consciously pray in our own name. But really, sometimes, we're relying on ourselves because we're not mindful of our position in Jesus Christ. And we're not mindful of His position in the universe. And so it causes us to come to the Lord thinking, well, I've got a little bit of merit before the Lord or I'll come for this reason or that. But there's no prayer that reaches heaven unless it's in the authority of Jesus Christ. 
And all authority in heaven on earth has been given to him. And so prayers offered in his authority can move heaven and earth. When Jesus invited us to pray in his name, he authorized us to speak to the Father. With authority, we've been authorized to speak to the Father. R.A. Torrey in his book, How to Pray, says, Prayer in the name of Jesus has power with God. God is well pleased with his son, Jesus Christ. He always hears him. And he always hears a prayer that is really in his name. There is a fragrance in the name of Jesus that makes every prayer that bears it acceptable to God. So it's only on the authority of Jesus Christ that our prayers even reach the Father. That he listens. He's not obligated to listen to any other prayer other than the prayer that is in the authority of Jesus Christ. Now, in his grace and his mercy, he may respond. And in the Old Testament, we see that the Lord responded when the people were desperate. Man, when the people got desperate and they cried day and night to the Lord, God responded. And we see that Jesus in his earthly ministry taught importunity and that we're to continue to come before the Lord with our requests. But, but then he really put it all together when he said, now pray in my name in his authority. So his identity becomes a basis of prayer. It's no longer how desperate you are or how desperate you can be. It's who Jesus is. Man, that ought to give you faith in your prayers. I mean, it really ought to unless you're dead. Jesus has authorized us to speak to the Father according to his merit or his account. Here's the second point. That was his authority. But praying in his name means that we pray according to his account. I love the way that R.A. Torrey put it. I couldn't put it any better, so I just copied it. He says this. If I go to the bank and hand in a check with my name signed on it, I ask of that bank in my own name. If I have money deposited in that bank, the check will be cashed. If not, it won't be. If, however, I go to a bank with someone else's name signed to a check, I am asking in their name. And it does not matter whether I have money in that bank or any other. If the person whose name is signed to the check has money there, the check will be cashed. He goes on. When I go to God in prayer, it is like going to the bank of heaven. I have nothing deposited there. I have absolutely no credit there. If I go in my own name, I will get absolutely nothing. But Jesus has unlimited credit in heaven. And he has granted me the privilege of going to the bank with his name on my checks. When I thus go, my prayers will be honored to any extent. Do you understand the glory of that? That is the reality in the spiritual realm that we have been given a blank check with the signature of Jesus Christ made out to the, you and I, the, the bank of heaven on it. I mean, it's unbelievable. It's like if you knew a bajillionaire and they just signed a bunch of checks for you and said, here's the address of my bank. Go anytime you want and make a withdrawal. It will never run dry. I mean, what burdens we carry because we don't go to the Lord in prayer. We have open access to the account of Jesus Christ. It's not on our own merit. That is such good news. Full access to the account and merit of Jesus Christ was extended to us when he invited and commanded us to pray in his name. The third thing that we have when we pray in his name is access. Access. Understand that Jesus is the mediator 
and he is the intercessor. You guys are familiar with 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. It says, For there is one God and one mediator also between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. He is the one mediator. Don't ever let anybody else tell you you've got to go through them to be heard by God or for God to work and move in your life. That's wrong and that's evil. I mean, it's just evil. There's one mediator between God and man. You have direct access in the name of Jesus. Hebrews 7.25 says, Hence also he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is the mediator and he is the intercessor for us. Hebrews 9.24 clarifies and it says, For Christ did not enter a holy place made with hands, a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Why did he ascend into heaven? To appear in the presence of God for us. To be the mediator and the intercessor. Job was lamenting uh, of his lack of access to God in the book of Job. And he says in Job 9, 32 through 33, For God is not a man as I am that I may answer him, that we may go to court together. He says, God's not like me. I mean, we can't just grab hands and go to court and say, okay, let's work out this situation. You see, he was feeling a sense of separation. And then he says in the next verse, there's no umpire between us who may lay his hand upon us both. Jesus Christ, remember the old Job's in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is the umpire who lays his hand upon you and upon the Father and he bridges what seeming was an unbridgeable gap between fallen humanity and a holy God. And so Job's lament has become a rejoice. Job's prayer has been answered. There's now a mediator with his hand on earth and his hand in heaven who joins the two. He's a mediator. He's the intercessor. He's in heaven to appear before God for us. He is the umpire. And you know... A good umpire is an important thing, isn't it? I mean, you're going to sign up for softball today. We're going to play softball, and there's going to be calls that you just don't agree with by the umpire. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the righteous umpire. The Father knows what we have need of. Jesus makes the call. Because Jesus represents not only humanity God, but God to humanity. Look at this. Jesus represents God to humanity. He is the explanation of who God is. John 1.18 No man has seen God at any time, the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained Him, meaning Jesus has revealed to us, has explained exactly who God is. As a mediator, He's representing both sides. He's representing God and he's representing man. So when he represents God to us, he is in himself the exact representation of the glory of God. He has explained him. That Greek word is where we get our word exegesis, which is a critical explanation or interpretation. Jesus is a critical and thorough explanation and interpretation of who God is. He came to represent God to you and I in the situation in which we're in. Not only is Jesus the explanation, he is the apostle. 
Hebrews 3.1 says, Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. Now, an apostle is one who is sent by God. An apostle is one who is sent by God. So he is the representor, he's the explainer, and he's the apostle who was sent. He represents God, but he also represents man to God. Not only God to man, but man to God. And in representing man to God, he is the high priest. Hebrews 3.1, again, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. In the Old Testament, if you wanted to have any connection with God, if you wanted to do any business with God, any communication with God, you had to go to the temple or the tabernacle, and you had to go through the high priest. He was the mediator for you. And he had to offer up sacrifices on your behalf time and time and time and time again. But Jesus, the book of Hebrews says, is not like those high priests. He's an eternal high priest who has offered up the sacrifice once and for all and has opened access to God the Father. In representing man to God, he's a high priest and he's the intercessor, Hebrews 7.25. Hence also... He is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Now, what does it mean that Jesus makes intercession for us? You've heard this reference often, but, but what exactly does it mean? Well, to intercede, if you look it up, is the action of intervening on behalf of another. Intervening on behalf of another. So when Jesus intercedes for you in heaven, he intervenes on your behalf, before the Father. you got to understand that Christ's intercession is not so much a prayer that he prays as it is a work that he does. I think there's a misunderstanding about that in the church. It doesn't necessarily per se mean that Jesus is praying for you. Rather, it means that he is working for you. He's interceding so that you can pray. I mean, what did he say in John 16, 26? In that day, you will ask in my name. I do not say to you that I will request the Father on your behalf. Jesus intercedes, represents us before the Father so that we can pray in Jesus' name. Because, you see, the Father loves you. That's what the next verse says, because the Father himself loves you. And the Father wants to hear from you directly. And what Jesus is doing is, is bearing those wounds before the Father. And so when we come and, and, and our prayer begins to go to heaven, it's as if, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't play out on, on this silly little level that we understand, but it's as if we, the Lord says, oh, uh, Father, here comes bread. And the Father goes, oh, and Jesus says, yeah, and, and I died for him, and, and I, I paid the price for his sins, and I've washed him absolutely clean, and now he's coming, Father, in my authority. Okay, he's coming in my authority, and I'm giving to him, Father, my access. And Father, when he asks you for great things, I want you to know that whatever he wants, go ahead and take it out of my account. I mean, that's what's happening in heaven. We're trying to understand an infinite, mysterious thing with finite minds, but that's the gist of it. He intervenes on our behalf. He intercedes. He is working according to the finished work of the cross so that we can pray in that name. 
Now, he's not only the high priest and the intercessor. Jesus is the advocate. 1 John 2.1 My little children, I am writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if you sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What is an advocate? It's a person who pleads on someone else's behalf. It's exactly what the Lord does for you on your behalf according to who He is. He is now functioning as your representative, guaranteeing your access and the benefits of your redemption. That's why He ascended unto heaven. That's why He's there now. And as a mediator or go-between to present each one of us to the Father, we always have a standing before the Father as righteous and as one of His own. Therefore, Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. So I want you to understand, Jesus commanded us, He's invited us to pray in His name. And because of His name, our prayers have authority in the spiritual realm. Authority in the spiritual realm. We'd be fools if we were to pretend that there's not stuff going on in our lives in the spiritual realm. The Bible says that there's a battle being waged in the spiritual realm for the well-being of men and women. Jesus said that the devil came to kill and steal and to destroy. And if you're not a Christian, he's on course for that in your life. To kill and steal and destroy. If you are a Christian then Satan would just love to kill your joy. To destroy the work of the Lord in your life. What he wants to do in your life. He wants to steal the blessings that the Lord has for you by getting you in disobedience, by getting you grumbling and complaining and all messed up. But you understand that when you pray in the name of Jesus, there is the authority of Jesus in that prayer. I mean, I know it's Mother's Day, but but let me talk to the, the fathers for a moment. When you stand in your child's room and you pray against the powers of hell in the name of Jesus Christ, there is a shuddering in the demonic realm. I mean, every time a demon saw Jesus in the New Testament, they shuddered, they feared. They said, have you come to torment us? We know who you are. Book of James tells us that the demons know who God is and they shudder. When you, husband or father, stand in your house and you pray in the name of Jesus, there is authority to break the work of Satan in that house. There is authority to release the blessings of God into that house. I mean, that's what the Bible says. When you stand and you pray in that authority and you have the faith to ask God for big things, there is no end to the account of Jesus Christ. There's no end to his merit, and he's given you that blank check. I mean, don't you think that that should change your prayer life? Maybe you need to ask for more. Maybe your prayers have been too small. Your faith has been too weak. God is able to do exceeding abundantly more than we've even thought to ask, Ephesians 3.20 tells us. And we've got direct access to the throne of grace. I mean, just direct access because 
in the name of Jesus, because of his identity and his work, just direct access to the throne of grace to receive help in the time of need. And and so I I see often in Christians' lives that when they get themselves in trouble, they, they draw away from God a little bit and it pushes them away from the Lord when really we should run to the Lord. Because remember, it's not on your righteousness, it's on Jesus' righteousness. It's not on your standing in and of yourself, it's a standing that you have because you are in Christ Jesus. And that sin that's got you so tangled up and so bummed out, he already paid the price for it. Confess it, repent of it, be done with it, and jump into the arms of the Father. That's what the work of the cross has afforded us. Don't wallow in your shame and guilt and let the enemy get you under the burden and the yoke of condemnation. You have access and authority and open account to all the treasures of heaven when you pray in the name of Jesus. So whether you say it or not, make sure that that's what is in your heart when you pray. That you are praying in accordance with that name the identity, the character, and the attributes. That the goal of your prayers is to accomplish His will, to hold up His kingdom. That the goal of your prayer life is for His glory and not your glory. And then pray according to that authority and witness the power. Pray with the sense that you are dipping into that account and experience the richness of God's blessing. Pray knowing that you have full access to the Lord and experience the joy of being in His presence. And when you do these things, there ought to be no end to the increase of your faith when you pray in the name of Jesus. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful truth that is huge and and somewhat mysterious and yet so simple. We've been given your authority, your account, and your access. Thank you, Lord. And we would just pray together now that, Lord, you would teach us to live and to do all in the name of Jesus. That you would bring us to that place, Lord, of surrendering to who you are, surrendering to your will, your identity, your plans, your purposes. That you would help us get over ourselves and into the things of your kingdom. That we'd stop being about ourselves and our troubles and we'd start being about you and your glory and your plan. And that, Lord, you would release faith into this congregation. You would release faith as we understand what it means to pray in your name. Thank you that even at this moment as we pray, you are representing us before the Father. That you are working that we might pray and be heard. Thank you for being our advocates, our high priests. Thank you for understanding us and loving us still. Lord, teach us to pray and do exceeding abundantly beyond anything that we've even thought to ask. We ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen.